Hi, welcome to another episode of Paul Tom Power, Power System Designs podcast on the latest in power and power design. I'm your host, Alex Paulton. Today, I've got Sagar Jatani. He's the head of content over at uh, Element 14. And, well, we're going to talk about uh, creation, design. Isn't that a cool subject? Welcome to the show, Sagar. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Well, you know, the, the beautiful part about electronic engineering and electronic design is at the end of the day, you're trying to make something. You know, it's not, you're not just sitting around in a circle thinking, well, eh, let me play this game of solitaire, and then I put the cards back in the deck in the box. You actually are creating something that's going to have an impact in the world, hopefully, right, when you make a product. Absolutely. It's all about making. <laughs> and speaking of that, the, the, the whole aspect, the beautiful part about this maker's revolution, you know, that, oh, of course, you've been championing, championing, is that it's not just a benefit for the hobbyist engineer, it's also a significant benefit to the working engineer, right? Absolutely, Alex. I mean, I I think there was an early misconception uh, among some quarters that making was kind of a subculture that was distinct from so-called real engineering or real building. And I I think that has been widely recognized now as a misreading of what was really happening. There's always been cultures of intense creativity uh, and making. You think of the Homebrew Computer Club, which, uh, you know, was associated with folks like Steve Wozniak and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. Um, mm-hmm. And for in education, for for years, there's been a widely understood precept that one of the best ways to learn to really get your arms around a new idea or concept is not to read about it or hear somebody lecture about it, but to actually to try to make something with that knowledge. And I think that at some point along the way, maybe because the tech begot, uh, became increasingly specialized, we lost that idea. It became sort of limited to uh, the guys with the advanced degrees and it, not mm-hmm. so much you know, the people who were just curious about making. What we saw happening, though, several years ago was movements like the Arduino movement and other microcontrollers and single-board computers began to revive this very ancient idea of making us being core to who we are as people. And I think the Raspberry Pi board, which you know we, we were talking about earlier, it kind of exemplifies that. It's a perfect marriage of, of technology and engineering and that innate curiosity that drives so many of us in this space. I, oh, I agree completely. And well, actually, it's funny, Sagar, is that uh, almost all of my shows turn into you know agreement festivals because it, it, this is this is, and I'm really glad I'm not one of those confrontational type journalists because <laughs> I, I, it's. I mean, well, it's nothing but net here. I mean, there's no downside to the maker movement. In the case of, uh, like, you know, the Raspberry Pi or even some of the other devices, uh, all of these development kits, all of these reference designs don't just empower people who are trying to, you know, create something as a one-off. There are also subsystems that can be used by working engineers to create product lines. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you just look on Kickstarter today, do a search there for Raspberry Pi or Arduino or BeagleBone Black, and you'll see thousands and thousands of projects all looking for funding. And these are not just vanity projects. These are serious, you know, viable business uh, ideas, and many of which I think are going to enter the market over the next few years and really change the way we look at technology. I agree completely. But, you know, since we worked, uh, since the Raspberry Pi did come up in conversation, and it's literally the buzz everywhere because the new version's out. <laughs> what can you tell us about the new version? 
Yeah, so I guess the first thing I could tell you is that it's selling like crazy. There's been a tremendous uh, amount of excitement over this, probably in part because so few people saw this coming. I mean, just seven or eight months ago, we released uh, our Raspberry Pi model, the B+, which uh, was kind of the second uh, update, if you will, to the Raspberry, the original Raspberry Pi, and people were very excited about it. It added better power management, more connectivity, and uh, you know it was a very popular item. I think there was, therefore, kind of a misperception that people would have to wait for a long time before they saw another upgrade. But meanwhile, the Raspberry Pi Foundation was hard at work trying to get this this next generation out, the Raspberry Pi 2. So what I can tell you is that it is significantly more powerful than any previous Raspberry Pi we've seen. It's running a quad-core ARM 7 processor, uh, running at 900 megahertz. So we're talking about you know about six times increase in performance. It's got a full gig of SD RAM on it. Uh, I mean, it's just it's a monster. I think people may have uh, in, in the past may have been inclined to look at the older Raspberry Pis and say, well, you know, it may not be the speediest um, board out there, but it's $35. It's pretty amazing for what it does. And they were right. It was amazing. No more excuses. Board is the board. As Evan Upton, co-founder of Raspberry Pi, said the other day, this is the board they always dreamt of making. You know, it, it runs you know as fast as my laptop. It is just it's just a, a monster, and I think people are very excited. Not least of which because it's the same price point. It's thirty five dollars. So there's like you said, there's nothing but net here. There's no real bad news, <laughs> and uh, we see this as evidenced by the the amount of traffic, the demand for, for Raspberry Pi 2s we've seen just in the day or two since we launched it. I agree. I mean, Sagar, when you think about the amount of power, especially when, the insane price point, um, as some of my audience knows, I, I'm ex-Army Electronic Warfare, and I used to mm-hmm. be at the NSA field stations, which mm-hmm. required a room full of computer for 50 megabytes of uh, hard drive. <laughs> That's going old school, Alex. You know, I, well, but to think about that saga, and, and, and I'm still alive, right? So it's, <laughs> we're not even talking about something from my infancy. We're talking about something, I was an adult using this stuff. This is only like 30 yeah. years ago. And we've, <laughs> we've gone from 50 megabytes being a drive the size of a small refrigerator to if there was a 20 gig drive lying on the floor, uh, SD card or a microchip on the floor, you wouldn't bend over to pick it up unless you were curious about the contents. <laughs> You're right. I mean, I remember, you know, this so-called single board computer phenomenon. You can trace this all the way back to 1971 with that original Intel 4004 chip, you know, I mean, and, and by that, by those standards back then, it was a monster. But I think what we've seen is that as the processing power continues to rapidly increase, it's it's also doing something interesting. It's bringing into the realm of possibility certain applications which we simply wouldn't have been able to, to come up with uh, in, in earlier days. You know, so you mentioned, like we talked about Kickstarter. I think that this new Raspberry Pi 2 with its processing horsepower, it, I think we're going to start seeing a lot more IoT applications, a lot more uh, really creative uses to the tech that previous generations of single-board computers simply would not have been capable of executing. I agree. I agree completely again there, Saga. Now, but the other side of that coin is, how much is that going to ping single board computer manufacturers and the embedded computing market when, yes, these specialized devices are 
very, very powerful, but for an order of magnitude less money, I can get something maybe not dialed in as exactly, but will give me a tremendous bang for my buck. Sure. It's a fair question. I mean, I think there'll always be a realm of applications for which a simpler microcontroller is perfectly suitable. I mean, you know, my experience has been that uh, in the making uh, engineering community, I don't think I know people who um, are, are kind of brand specific. I don't know someone who says, you know, I already use an Arduino, therefore I'm not going to get a Raspberry Pi. You know, at, given the price points of these boards, people tend to get one of everything, usually multiple copies of everything. So I think that for those applications that, you know, maybe um, low power draw is, is critical because it's not possible to access the hardware that easily, like maybe it's an underground pipeline or it's a deep ocean uh, crawler or something like that, sure, of course, you know, it, there's nothing wrong with using a simple 8-bit microcontroller. But then you know, if you want a more complex application, like a lot of people do, uh, you know, I think that a Raspberry Pi is, is a great board because you're going to get the trade-off will be, you know, for that power draw it has, um, you're going to get a host of processing power that you simply wouldn't have available if you go with, you know, more of a simple MCU. Agreed, agreed. Well, and that's, well, I guess that boils down, you know, it, it's all about engineering, right? Selecting the right tools to create the product to address the application. If, if you can use it, uh, undoubtedly, you're going to go run and use it because, yeah, you can't beat that price point. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've we've seen some um, some interesting things in Element 14. We have a whole area of our site that's dedicated to people who are building projects with the Raspberry Pi. And, you know, just to give you a quick sample, we've had everything from people building uh, silent doorbells to notify them via cell phone when somebody walks up to their door. The way they're doing that is using uh, lasers as tripwires. These are all powered with Raspberry Pis. Another one of our members built a Raspberry Pi-powered alarm clock. And it wasn't just an alarm clock. It was an Internet-connected device that checked the real-time train schedule that this gentleman has to catch every morning to go to work because his train was often late, often but not always. <laughs> So the Raspberry Pi alarm clock would first check to see how the train was running, and then it would adjust the wake-up time accordingly so our member was never late for work. I mean, these are just a couple of examples of real devices that people have been building, uh, and I think it's precisely because of that uh, processing power that the Raspberry Pi delivers. I agree. Well, and that's, that's it, isn't it, though? Because we are entering the second stage of what I call the Internet of Things is in one way you could, you know, corny, high level language. This is the end of the beginning, uh, you know, because now the IoT is moving beyond buzzword and is actually becoming, as it were. And devices like this are insanely powerful enablers. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, I think, you know, the, the IoT, it's, it's funny how quickly that phrase already sounds somewhat antiquated even though it's not that old. Um, you know, I think that for many people, the IoT kind of broke through and became a household term when Google bought Nest. And that was just a huge event in the market that a lot of companies began to refine or create their own IoT strategy. And, you know, here we are today where we see, you know, organizations like Microsoft. They just announced that they're releasing a free copy of Windows 10 to Raspberry Pi 2 users which is great. Um, you know, a couple of days ago, 
we had an announcement on Element 14 that Canonical had released a new distro of Linux called Snappy Ubuntu Core that's optimized for ARM-based devices, like you know BeagleBone no. Black, for instance. You know, so um, you know, we also saw. I think this may be when I last saw you at uh, Design West. Intel had taken some pretty serious steps getting into uh, the microcontrolling, single-board computing market as well with some of their recent products. So I think what this all points to is this interest on the part of hardware and software manufacturers is they realize that we're still in the infancy of IoT. I mean, today, depending on your numbers, you, there's anywhere from 10 to 11 billion Internet-connected devices in the world. The stats that I look at say that you know by 2020, that number is going to triple to about 33 billion connected devices. So the elevator hasn't you know left the ground floor yet, and I think that's one of the reasons why you see so much interest of people trying to get a piece of that market uh, so that they can you know carve out uh, a niche for themselves. Right now, Sagar, I have to ask this question because uh, we are a power engineering site as well. Uh, what about power management, power consumption? What has uh, Raspberry Pi done in that area? Lower sleep states? Better quiescence? Tell me. Yeah, so you know the, the story here is pretty good, I think, because although the amount of processing power has increased significantly, the power draw is the same as the previous model. You know, it's, it's 1.8 amps, you know, running at 5 volts. Um, and what we actually saw with the previous Model B Plus uh, Raspberry Pi was that you could have better power management by, uh, if, if you wish to, you could send more of the current onto USB connected devices. So let me give you a real example. With the original Raspberry Pi, if you wanted to use a USB drive, a bona fide standalone hard drive, you could do that but you'd have to also make sure that that USB hard drive had its own power supply connected to a wall wart somewhere. That changed with the Model B Plus because they created more flexible power management, and that flexibility has extended onto the current Raspberry Pi 2. You know, for me, the power management story for the current, the new Raspberry Pi 2 is that mm -hmm. it has not increased. And I think that's fantastic because, you know, in the, the previous one, again, you had the Broadcom BCM, uh, ARM V6, now you have the quad-core V7 running at 900 megahertz, and yet the power draw is identical to the previous model. So I don't, I'm not going to pretend to understand how they did that, but I'm really happy they did. <laughs> oh, well, I, I, I'll leave it as an exercise for our audience so they can uh, think about that. But I, I, it is, this is just very, very, very cool times. In fact, Saga, um, I we wish we could continue talking about this, but this is a podcast, and we are limited in time. But I am going to bring you back because uh, beyond the Raspberry Pi, there are a whole bunch of other things Element 14 is doing that I want to bring out for my audience. So you got to promise you're coming back. Oh, it be my pleasure, Alex. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Sagar, and I'm really glad you came by today. But before I let you go, I always let my guests have the last word in my podcast. Well, I talk a lot as it is, and then this also makes sure we didn't miss anything. <laughs> but it could be a little bit about uh, more about the Raspberry Pi or something about Element 14 or just a tip for the audience, but the floor is yours. Oh, well, I appreciate that. You know, obviously we've been talking a lot about single boards and Raspberry Pi specifically, but I will say I think that one of the truly differentiating factors about the Raspberry Pi is the size of its community. I mean, this is really a community board, if you will, because – Part of the Raspberry Pi's core mission is to introduce computing to the masses. And you can't do that if, if we're only really inviting in people who have 
uh, electronics degrees. So for that reason, I'm really proud of the fact that Element 14 has become a real destination for people looking to get into the Raspberry Pi or who want to help others and share their builds and, and upload pictures of what they're working on. We have a thriving element, uh, thriving Raspberry Pi community on our site, which coexists along with BeagleBone Black users and Arduino users and all the other boards that you would expect to find in this space. So if you haven't checked out Element 14 yet, I encourage your listeners to do so. Uh, besides seeing all the community activity, that's also where they can find the actual Raspberry Pi 2 available for purchase. Uh, we're getting uh, units in all the time, several times a week, and we're fulfilling those as, just as fast as we can, but it's based upon first come, first serve. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't already put an order in, check it out, um, see if it's the kind of thing you'd be interested in doing, and we'd love for you to join our community and become part of it. Excellent. I'm really glad you said that, uh, Sagar, because um, the whole key here is America used to be a nation of tinkerers, of, of citizen inventors, of engineer farmers, you know, I honestly don't know what happened. I realize that part of that is the compartmentalization and specialization of information. But um, whatever the reason that it happened, I'm really glad the pendulum swinging back and these tools and these kits and these communities that have all just sprung up in the last few years are going to exponentially increase development on both the professional and the non-professional side, in my humble opinion. Yeah, it's never been a better time to be a maker than today. Love it. I love every minute of it. Thank you so much, Sagar, for coming. Like I said, I'm going to definitely drag you back, but for now I'm going to have to let you go. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. Bye. Oh, pleasure's mine. You take care. And I'd like to thank everybody out there in the audience for taking the time to be with us. We wouldn't be here without you. Tell your friends. This is Alex Paul for Paul on Power. Have a great day.